Lord have mercy. We got a long way to go and a short time to get there. We got to do what they say can't be done. <clears throat> it's like four of us that know where that's from, huh? Huh? Eastbound and down? I don't know if that's much of a worship song, but you guys get the idea. Open up the book of Revelation. And uh, we're going to begin our journey uh, through the book of Revelation. have no idea how long it will take. I'm hoping to get through three verses tonight. So I don't make a lot of promises. I might only get through one. We'll see. But what we will discover is what God lays out for us in what we call the eschaton. Eschaton is uh, uh, just a Latin phrase to deal with uh, the end times, last days. Uh, so when we, when we look at the study that we're going to have, and as we work our way through, it's simply put is what God has laid out for us as the, the closing act um, to life on planet earth. And Revelation gives that uh, to us, at least from my point of view. As we take a look, let's begin with a, an introduction to uh, the book of Revelation. First thing that we want to understand in verse 1, well, let's look at it, first three verses. It says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John who bore witness to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. So as we take a look tonight, it begins with the phrase, the first word is the word the, and the word the is not there. The definite article is not there. It's given uh, by the translators to help us understand what's going on. What we want to know is that this is not the only revelation Jesus gave. But this is a revelation of Jesus Christ. It is the final one added to other revelations that we have throughout the Gospels, throughout the Epistles, and then we come here to the book of Revelation. Now, who's the author? Verse 2 tells us, right? I thought verse 2 told us, verse 2 laid out for us, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, all the things which he saw, his servant John. Verse 4 lays it out for us completely. So, John writes this book, John lays it out for us, the author is John the Beloved. Now here's what I want you, one of the important things of the study that we've been doing on Sunday morning, we've been talking about Daniel. Everybody with me? Tracking? Daniel was called what by God? Much Beloved. Daniel, man, much beloved by God. I believe Jesus Christ is telling him that in Daniel chapter 10. If you miss that opportunity, Daniel chapter 10 and the tapes for Daniel are probably in the bookstore. You can pick it up. John has that also. What do we know John by? John is called what? The disciple whom Jesus loved. So you got two guys in the, in the, in the Bible that are called. Now I'm not saying they're the only two people that Jesus loved, but specifically they have that title. Why is that important? Because in Daniel 10, 11, and 12, Jesus gave Daniel a revelation of the end of days. Right? Daniel 10, 11, and 12. We're looking at it on Sunday mornings. And John the Beloved, Jesus gave a revelation of the end of days, the book of Revelation. So, we have... We see that in common between those two authors. Now, here's how we know. John wants us to understand the book of Revelation. He is an eyewitness to the visions. Forty visions in the book of Revelation. We're going to look at forty visions covering a wide variety of, of topics. But to every one of those, John wants you to know, I saw it. I heard it. I looked. We're going to see those phrases over and over again. In fact... Revelation 1.4 says, John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from Him who is, who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before His throne. So, immediately, John, uh, Revelation 1.4, we see John wrote it, and what is he? An eyewitness, right? He saw these things. He heard these things. In Revelation 1.9, 
It says, I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Again, we know it's John. He says, I, John, these are the things I saw, the things I heard. Revelation 21, coming toward the end of the book, verse 2. He says, Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Again, I, John, he's telling us, we know who saw these things, who wrote these things. Revelation 22, 8. Now I, John, saw and heard these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. So, we have John over and over again telling us, declaring to us, I'm the one who wrote the book. I'm the one who wrote the book. So we have authorship. The author of the book of Revelation is John the Apostle, John the Beloved. He's the one who penned these words for us. The next thing we come to is the concept of date. When? When did he write it? Now, the book of Revelation, you have two camps. And those two camps on the book of Revelation are based on how they interpret the book of Revelation. And I'll kind of build on that when we look at interpretation in just a minute. But let me give you the two, the two primary. There's three we'll look at. There's two primary. One, basically, the book of Revelation is past. It already happened. It's already occurred. It's finished. That the, the word for that view is the word preterist. You guys ever heard that? There are two kinds of preterists. A full preterist and a partial preterist. A full preterist believes that Jesus has already returned and the whole thing's done. That is usually viewed as heretical. A partial preterist believes almost all of it has completed, but we're waiting for the return of Christ. That kind of makes more sense if you're going to be a preterist. Okay, so the word preterist just means past. So they believe it's already happened. The second view, the view from which I come to the book of Revelation, is a future view. I'm a futurist. I believe the book of Revelation is prophecy. It declares itself to be prophecy. It was prophetic in their time, and I believe from chapter 4 all the way through 22, it's prophetic for our time. Um, so those are the two, the, the two primary uh, uh, views of it. So if you're a preterist, and you believe that Revelation primarily is dealing with the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD, then you want the book of Revelation to be written prior to 70 AD. Do you understand? Because if the book of Revelation is written after 70 AD, and it's concerning the destruction of Jerusalem, which happened in 70 AD, that doesn't make sense. Okay? So anybody who's a preterist, who sees Revelation as past, holds to an early date for the book of Revelation. It's not without some evidence. They, they have some evidence uh, to, to cling to for why they say 70 AD is their date. I have a dissertation in my office. It's uh, about that thick on why Revelation was written in 95 AD. So you're welcome to peruse it. At your leisure, just keep in mind it's a dissertation. So a doctor wrote it for other doctors to think he's smart. So it's a challenging read for sure. But I'm going to simplify it for you guys and say why I hold to a 95 date. There's a guy named Irenaeus. He's an early church father, lived in the first century. That's before 100 AD. And he writes in his epistles to other churches. He was a, a bishop in the church at that time. He writes that John wrote the book of Revelation in 95 AD. He lived about that time. And he had a friend. His friend's name was Polycarp. You guys ever heard of Polycarp? Polycarp was a bishop of Smyrna. One of the seven letters to the seven churches is written as Smyrna. He is the bishop of Smyrna and a disciple of the apostle John. So right beside John. So you got Polycarp right beside John, and his buddy is Irenaeus. And Irenaeus said, Man, I'm so stoked for the book of Revelation. This is a Jackie paraphrase. That has written, that has come to us in these days. He's writing at his time, 95 AD. Basically, because of that, there's other guys who follow it. There's other guys who say, Yeah, it's 95 AD. 
That's why I, I hold to the book of Revelation being written in 95 AD. The argument for guys for earlier is it doesn't mention the destruction of the temple. That doesn't talk about the destruction of the temple. It's 25 years later. How long has it been since the Twin Towers fell down? 15 years. 15 years. Are people writing books today where they don't mention that? I would say, yeah, I bet they are. And in 10 more years, they won't mention it hardly at all. Right? There's a, a few if you're on that topic, but if you're not writing about Jerusalem, then, then you're not going to mention it. So, that's why I hold to, to, to 95 AD as the, as the date for it. For a futurist view, it doesn't make a difference. 70 or 95, but if you're a preterist and 95 is correct, it defeats the view for 95 AD. Okay, so that gives us a date. Uh, let's talk about the three basic interpretations. I told you futurist. I told you about preterist. There's one more called allegorical. The allegorical view of Revelation basically states that Revelation is simply an allegory, a story, to describe the never-ending battle between good and evil. Or the battle between Christianity and paganism. It's an allegorical story. That's definitely not one in the forefront, but there are people in the past who have uh, held to that view, who have held on to that ideal. Um, so let's take a look. There's seven things we're going to pull out tonight. Man, look, I'm doing good. i got 30 minutes and only seven things. We're going to see, one, that the book of Revelation presents Jesus Christ in all His glory. Remember, it is a revelation of what? It's not the revelation of end times. What is it? It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's the unveiling of Jesus Christ. We're going to see Jesus Christ in all His glory throughout the book. We're going to see Jesus as the Lamb, and we're going to see Jesus as the Lion. We're going to see Jesus as the one who died for the souls of mankind, and we're going to see Jesus as the returning King, right? The, 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 uh, the return of the King. We're also going to see in Revelation that it proclaims the glorious return of Christ to the earth. The book of Revelation focuses primarily, though not completely, on the second coming of Jesus Christ. I believe chapter 4 and chapter 5 clearly show the rapture of the church. And as we, when we get there, I'll explain that more in detail instead of doing it in the introduction. But I see the rapture of the church, chapter 4 and 5. Maybe you guys remember, I gave you the quick rundown on Revelation. You guys remember? So here it is. Revelation, chapter 1, is the unveiling or the revealing of Jesus Christ. We're going to see a vision that John sees of Jesus Christ, chapter 1. Chapter 2 and 3, seven letters to seven churches, spanning all of church history, and has a precise meaning, each one to each of us, we can find ourselves in multiple letters to the seven churches, something that reflects upon us or to us, but it also lays out all of church history for us. All of church history you're going to see in those seven letters, the way they're organized as they're presented. Chapter 2 and 3, seven letters to seven churches. Chapter 4, church in heaven. Chapter 5, song of the redeemed, the church singing to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, as the Song of the Redeemed. You can look it up. It's in chapter 5. We'll be looking at that. Chapter 6, the beginning of the 70th week of Daniel. We've been studying Daniel. We've had 69 prophetic weeks that we've seen fulfilled, right? There's one left to come. Seven-year period of time. We call it the Great Tribulation. It's going to begin in chapter 6 with the opening of the seals. And then it's going to close in chapter 19 with the return of Jesus Christ in the battle of Armageddon. Jesus is going to set up his kingdom on earth. That's chapter 20, Revelation. The kingdom of Jesus is going to come, it's going to go, and then we're going to have a new heaven and a new earth, and everybody lives happily ever after. It's a whole book. From chapter 1, it's an outline that carries us all the way through. So you want to keep that in mind. As we work our way through this book, we're going to see the glorious uh, return of Christ to the earth. Three, it's, it's going to prophesy events in the future which will take place in a short period of time. That's an important phrase we're going to be looking at hopefully in just a couple of minutes. 
It's also going to picture future events with unique symbolism. There are signs, right? We're going to take a look at all of those. It puts heavy emphasis on the role and ministry of angels. There's a ton that angels are doing in the book of Revelation. Just so you know, there's like 109 mentions of angels in the New Testament. 79 of those are in Revelation. That's a lot, right? A lot of things angels are going to be doing that we're going to see in the spiritual realm. A lot of things going on as we look at the book of Revelation. Also, uh, number six, it places great emphasis on the church and the church's response to Christ. In fact, the number one theme that you're going to see repeated in the first three chapters is the church, 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 until what? Chapter four, and then what happens? It's never mentioned again. Interesting. We'll talk about that more as we get there. And the seventh thing, the book of Revelation promises a great blessing to believers. Those who read it, those who hear it, and those who obey it, right? Those who listen to this. So let's look at it. The beginning, Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place... He sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John. So a couple of things I want to pull out there. One of those things that leaps off the page, it says, which God gave him. So this is the revelation of who? Jesus Christ. Who gave the revelation to Jesus? God. Okay, so we have the Father giving revelation to the Son, and the Son giving revelation to his servants, right? He's going to share it with John. How's he going to do it? Through the Holy Spirit. When we get to chapter 2, over and over and over again, you're going to hear this phrase. That him who has ears, hear what? The Spirit says to the churches. That him who... Does does everybody got ears? Last I checked. We all at least have one. So, that him who has ears, that's all of us, Hear what, 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 who's saying? The Spirit. Okay, so the Father gave the revelation to the Son. The Son gave the revelation to His servants through the Holy Spirit. You see the Trinity working in the first verse of Revelation chapter 1. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Whom God gave to show, gave Him to show His servants the things which must shortly Take place. Okay, first I said it's going to present Jesus in all his glory. In all his glory. It's amazing. But it's going to present him in all his glory. Remember, the word for revelation is the word apocalypso. When it's used as a noun 19 times in the book of Revelation, it means to uncover or unveil, to show something, right? To take the sheet off. Like, um, like, I don't know, it wasn't, wasn't uh, that long ago. Kelly Pearson did a, a, a sculpture, right? He's got two of them out in front of his house. So when you do that, usually when, you, when you, you're all finished, you know, you've seen that phrase or that, that picture where it's covered. And then the artist walks over to it and whoosh, pulls the sheet. And what is that? The unveiling. That's what the word means. That's what revelation means, unveiling. Of Jesus Christ, okay? So just like that, revealing that sculpture, God is revealing the Lord Jesus Christ. It's being revealed. 26 times it's used as a verb, which literally means to reveal. One means to unveil, the other to reveal. So this is the unveiling or the revealing of Jesus Christ. So we want to see the exaltation of the glorious person of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to take a little journey. We're going to look at several scriptures here. Just, I just want you to kind of get that, that mindset in. Okay, this is all about the glory of Jesus Christ being revealed. And we're going to see that in the titles of Jesus Christ throughout the book. Revelation 1.5, look what it says. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. These are titles. The firstborn from the dead. The ruler over the kings of the earth. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Look at the titles. He is the faithful witness. He is the firstborn 
from the dead. We'll talk about that phrase next time when we, when we take a look at it. He's the ruler over how many of the kings? All the kings of the earth. He's a ruler over them all. Look down at verse 8, Revelation 1.8. Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Again, titles of Jesus Christ. He's the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is, who was, who is to come, the Almighty. Look, if you want to check it out, Isaiah chapter 46 through, I want to say 46 through 48. It's God... Almighty, Yahweh, putting all the idols on trial. And when he puts them on trial, you know what he uses to describe himself? I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. I am He. Over and over again in those two chapters, you'll want to take a look at those things. But these are titles. Titles of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 17, Revelation 1, 17. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said to me, Don't be afraid. What? I am the first and the last. Look, these are all titles of Yahweh. All What is it? The unveiling of Jesus Christ. Unveiling. Pulling away the sheet and saying, Look at him. This is Jesus. This is who Jesus is. Look at verse 18. Revelation 1.18. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. We know who's talking, right? This is a revelation of who? Jesus Christ. So whose voice is is it that we're looking at? Jesus Christ. What's he telling us? I am he who lives. Literally, I am life itself. And I am he who was dead, which is... An incredible concept to wrap around in your mind. But that we know, where did that occur? At the cross, right? Jesus Christ died and rose again. Death could not hold him. He is, I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive. I am alive. I am life eternal. Jesus would say to Mary and Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? That's Jesus Christ, right? What do we have here? The unveiling, the revealing, the glorifying of Jesus Christ, just in the names that we're going to see the book of Revelation present Him in. Look at Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. It says, And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says what? The Amen. Jesus, it's a title. The Amen. What does Amen mean? So be it. So be it. What's another way of saying it? How about your will be done? See, that's what we mean when we close our prayers with, Amen. So be it. Let it be. Let it be. Jesus says, I am the Amen. I am the Amen. Let it be. I am the Amen. What else? The faithful and true witness. Absolutely faithful and absolutely true. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is absolute truth. He is absolute faithfulness. He is absolutely faithful to His Word. There are titles. And I am the beginning of the creation of God. Now we have some friends who try to look at that as the first one created. But Colossians 1, 15, 16, 17, and 18 will, will set us straight on that idea. But this word beginning is the word, uh, I want to say orge, it's not right. Arche, arche, which uh, is the same phrase in John 1, 1. In the beginning, and arche, in the beginning, means before anything started, at the beginning of everything, he created. He is the creator, the beginning, the one who caused. You get what I'm saying? He is the cause of creation. That's what he's declaring right here. He goes on in Revelation 5.5. Flip over a page. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah. What is it? The title of Jesus Christ, right? It's unveiling. It's revealing who he is. The root of David. The root. Think about what that means. 
He is the root and the branch. That's what the scripture declares. The root and the branch. What is the root? That which gives life. That which brings it about. That the reason David comes to being is because of Jesus Christ. He's the root. But he's also a branch. He's out of the line of David, right? Messiah was born a son of David. From the tribe of Judah. We see the titles of Jesus Christ unveiling, revealing. He has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seals. Look at Revelation 15.3. They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God. The song of the Lamb. Another title, another unveiling. Jesus Christ is the Lamb. What did John the Baptist describe Him as? The Lamb of God which does what? Takes away the sin of the world. The unveiling. We see the great Lamb. Great and marvelous are your works. Another title. Lord God Almighty. Pretty emphatic, no? Just and true are your ways. What's the next phrase? O King of Saints. King of the saints. Revelation nineteen sixteen, The return of Jesus Christ says, He has on His robe and on His thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Now by the way, you'll look and it's in all caps. It's probably in your Bible it's in all caps. In the Greek, it's in unkio letters, which means in the Greek it's all capital letters and it's separated from everything else. What does that indicate? Title. King of kings and Lord of lords. Where is it at? Written on his thigh. i got some friends who say that Jesus has a tattoo. We'll see. But he has a name written on his thigh. Right? He has a name written on his thigh. King of kings, Lord of lords. And then 22.16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and offspring of David. The bright and morning star. I am the root and the offspring. Remember we, we talked about that phrase. Again, titles. It's titles. It's the exaltation of the glorious person of Jesus Christ. That's what we're going to see as we look through here. Now there's going to be a lot of other stuff, right? There's going to be tragedy and there's going to be uh, judgments of God. And, but what's the point? The point is the unveiling of Jesus Christ. He came the first time as the Lamb. He comes a second time as a lion. And when the tribulation period begins in Revelation chapter 6, it is called the wrath of the Lamb. It's the unveiling, the revealing of Jesus Christ. It's officially the point at which there's no time left. And we talked about this. You want to you wanna, uh, wrestle with the idea of whether or not People who have rejected Christ now will have an opportunity to receive Christ then. I will take you to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Read that chapter because what that chapter seems to indicate is that if they have no love of the truth, they're going to turn their back on Christ and they're done. That's why it's important that today is the day of salvation. Now is the time. The time is now, not later. You reject Christ, reject Christ, reject Christ. What makes you think they're going to open their eyes? There, the Bible says God's going to send delusion. It's called judicial hardening. Give me, let me give you an example. Pharaoh. Remember Pharaoh? What happened to him? God hardened his heart. For what purpose? To show forth his redemption. And to bring about his judgment, which is righteous and true. That was Pharaoh's heart, right? Read the stories. You see that his heart... All the way through, judicial hardening, God saying, bam. Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 2 seems to indicate that that will occur, I believe, after the rapture of the church. So that there's, it's not a question of second chances. It'll be a question about first chances. Getting the, the gospel out through the 144,000 uh, faithful Jewish b- uh, believers who will acknowledge Jesus as the Christ. And through the angels that the Bible says are going to go throughout the heavens declaring the everlasting gospel. But the word will go out. The opportunity will go. But about whether or not there will be another chance. I, I'm, not, I'm not certain that you can say that with absolute certainty that that is the way it's going to be. So what does that mean? Jesus didn't tell us, slack off and wait for the rapture and then you get out and everybody else just goes to hell, did he? No, what did he tell us to do? He said, look, you got a job to do. 
You got to share the truth. You got to share the gospel now. Today's the day. Now's the time. Now's the time. This is our time to be able to, to share the truth. Okay, not only is it going to reveal the glory of, of Christ, but it's going to proclaim the glorious return of Christ to the earth. What's that mean? Jesus Christ is coming back again. How do I know that? Acts chapter 1. What happened in Acts chapter 1? Jesus Christ ascends into the heavens, right? You guys remember? He goes up into the heavens. What happens? The angel says, what are you guys doing? Hey, didn't he tell you to go do something? Go. This same Jesus whom you've seen go will what? Come back just as he has gone. Jesus himself said, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house is many mansions if it were not so. I would have told you and I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come again. Remember I told you Jesus Christ is faithful and true. He's absolutely going to keep his word. In fact, Revelation chapter 1 verse 7, look at it. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him, even so. Amen. So be it. The book of Revelation is about the second coming of Jesus Christ. He is coming back. And he is not coming back as the lamb. He is coming back to make war. And we'll see that as we look. In fact, if you flip over Revelation chapter 19, verse 11, it says, Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. We know who that is, right? Jesus Christ, he was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written, <coughs> which no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. His name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, and... Uh, that with it he should strike the nations. He himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads a winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He's coming back. Revelation 19, I told you, that's the return. The battle of Armageddon. Revelation 22.7, Jesus said, Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. And we're going to talk about it in a moment. But that word quickly means suddenly. It doesn't mean like I'm going to be back in five minutes. It means be ready. Because when it comes, it's going to happen how? Sudden. You're not expecting it, and boom! There it is. And that's what the phrases mean. We look at entekai. We'll take a look at that in just a moment. Okay. So, the second coming of Jesus Christ. Let's look down. We'll, we'll skip a couple. Go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7. And to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power when He comes in that day to be glorified in His saints and to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. The whole book is about the second coming of Jesus Christ. We'll see that as we continue on in the weeks to come. The third thing, it prophesies events in the future which must take place suddenly and within a short period of time. This is how it's stated. These uh, things which must shortly take place. Revelation 1.1, look there. Things which must shortly take place. The word is in tekai. It's the word that you get tachometer. You guys know what a tack is, right, On your in your car? You rev up, and the more you rev, the faster you're going, the higher the tack rises. All right, the idea of in tekai is that it's getting quicker, getting quicker, getting quicker, and then bam, it's there. That's what the word means when he says, I'm coming quickly. These things which must quickly or suddenly take place. These are the things we're looking at. 
When they begin, how long does it last? The 70th week of Daniel, how long does it last? Seven years. Seven years. Once it starts, seven years. That's, that's relatively setting, looking at all history, isn't it? Seven years till it's all completed. Let me give you some examples of this word used in the Bible that way. Let's look at it. Luke 18, verse 7 and 8. And it says, And shall God not avenge His own elect, who cry out day and night to Him, though He bears long with them? I tell you, He will avenge them speedily. Has God brought vengeance upon those who have tortured His elect? Not yet. But when it happens, it will be sudden, quick, boom. Judgment day has come. You understand? Same exact word as what we're looking at in Revelation. Romans 16.20 And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet quickly. It's the same word. Entekai. means sudden. Boom! It's going to happen. Things are going, things are going, and then bam! It comes. The hammer drops. The judgment falls. We see the same thing in Revelation chapter 2 verse 5. Remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent and do your first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand. That's a letter to the church at Ephesus. Ephesus doesn't exist now, but it existed for quite a while after this letter came. I will come to you quickly. What's it mean? Suddenly. You guys get the idea, right? These things which must shortly take place. What did Jesus say? He said, I come like a thief in the night. When you don't expect it, boom, there I am. So what's he tell believers? Be ready. Do what? Be ready. When? Every day. Why? Because we don't know when. Does that make sense? So this is what he's talking about. Events of the future which will take, pay, take place suddenly over a short period of time. Fourth, it pictures future events in unique symbolism. Remember I told you there's 40 different visions in the book of Revelation. There are 400 allusions to the Old Testament. That means if you're going to understand the pictures in the book of Revelation, you have to understand those same pictures where? In the Old Testament. Now there's primarily, we're going to see them over and over again come up throughout the, the prophets in the Old Testament, but one of the big ones you're going to see over and over again is the book of Daniel. That's why we're studying this Sunday morning, right? This, we're all the way to chapter 11 now. So, what are we talking about? We're saying, look, look at all these pictures in Daniel, because when we get into Revelation, poof, the light comes on, and you say, wow, look, I read that in the Old Testament. I know what that means. I know what that beast, I've heard about that beast before. As we take a look, you'll see those things. Two things you're going to want to be familiar with, simile and metaphor. There's a lot of those in the book of Revelation. Simile, I'm going to give you the quick, short answer. Danielle's not here, so she can't bust me later. So the quick answer is a simile uses like or as. Trying to describe something else like a lion or, or had hair like a woman. If you hear the word like or as, it's a simile. A metaphor basically follows the same rules as a simile, but doesn't use like or as. But it is a picture. A beast rose out of the sea. When we talk about that, what is it? A metaphor. We're not looking for a real beast coming out of the sea. The beast is the, the picture of how God sees this world leader coming onto the scene as a beast, a ravenous beast that is going to consume mankind. So when we look at it, there's metaphors and similes. We'll talk about them more as we go, but I just want you to realize as we work our way through, we're going to see pictures uh, of future events using symbolism. Verse 1, Revelation 1, verse 1, and he signified it. He signified it. Look at it. It says, he sent and signified it by his angel. He sent and signified it. He signed it. What's that mean? Look, language changes, doesn't it? Wasn't that long ago and we'd say things like, uh, well, maybe I don't want to say some of these things. But cool stays cool all the time. Cool's not cool now? Cool's still cool. Yeah. But anyways, you guys get the Language changes. So what do we do to lock down language? Well, we lock it down with signs and symbols. And that's what the book of Revelation does. The, 
that Jesus Christ gives it to us in signs and symbols. Because when I say, a beast coming out of the sea, you can picture, this don't sound good. That, 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 that doesn't sound good. You get the idea about what's going on based on the signified, signified language of the book of Revelation. Again, we see those signs. Okay, next, it's going to put a heavy emphasis on the role in the ministry of angels. Remember I told you, 79 uses of, of the word angel in uh, this book, 104 overall through the whole New Testament. So, we're going to see a lot. The Bible tells in Ephesians chapter 6 that we do not wrestle against what? Flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. How often do we think our battles with people? But the Bible says, not, your battle's not with that dude. Daniel told us, didn't he? Daniel said, I prayed and asked God for an answer. In 21 days I was waiting, and the answer was sent to me, but it was withheld for 21 days because there was a spiritual battle where angels were fighting, going at it with each other, and Michael the archangel was fighting with the prince of Persia, and finally the answer comes to Daniel. But we don't, we don't often recognize that that's a reality. There's a supernatural realm. Angels, demons, and the book of Revelation gets deep in it. It's going to spend a lot of time revealing those things to us, showing us those things, the work of angels and what's going on with them. It's also going to place a uh, great emphasis on the church and its response to Jesus Christ. Chapter 2 and 3, church, 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 church. You're going to read the word church over and over and over again. To the church of Ephesus, to the church of Smyrna, to the church of Pergamos, to the church. Let him who has ears hear what the Spirit says to the churches over and over and over again. You're going to see that phrase. Churches. Churches are going to be very prominent in the first three chapters as we take a look. What's the emphasis on? Respond to Jesus Christ. Respond to Jesus Christ now. Don't wait till tomorrow. Don't wait till later. Let him who overcomes, every one of the seven letters is going to have a phrase to the overcomer. First John chapter 5, when you got time, look at it. First John chapter 5 says, And this is he who overcomes, the one who believes Jesus is the Christ. What is it that Jesus is looking for from his church? A response to who he is. What did he say to Peter? Peter, who do men say that I am? Most important question there is to answer on earth. Because after that, what did he say to Peter? Peter, who do you say? Who do you say I am? What's he looking for from his church? Who do you say I am? Who am I? He's either Lord of Lords, King of Kings, our great Savior and mighty God, or he's none of those things. And his church needs to respond. If he's king, we ought to be following him, right? We ought to be following what the king lays out for us. Seven letters... To seven churches is going to figure prominently. Okay, finally, look, we're going to make it. I know you don't think so, but we are. The last one, it promises great blessing to believers. Look at verse 3. Look at verse 3. Blessed is he who reads those who hear the words of the prophecy and keep the things which are written in it, for the time is near, nigh. You know that. This is what Jesus and all the apostles told the church. Time is near. Time is near. Time is near. When we get to Revelation chapter 4 and we start talking a little bit about the rapture, and I go to Paul's writing in First and Second Thessalonians, he's going to say, we are looking for the return of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's not saying, you guys out there in the future are going to look for Him. What did he say? We are. Paul looked for it. They looked for him. Why? Because Jesus said, nobody knows the time or the hour. Be ready. Be ready. Blessed is he who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. Seven Beatitudes in the book. There's seven Beatitudes. I'm going to lay them out for you right now. Seven Beatitudes. The first one's in verse 3. A Beatitude is blessed is he who... Okay, you with me? That's a beatitude. Blessed is he who reads, those who hear, and those who keep. That's the first one. Blessed is he who reads, those who hear, and those who keep. Revelation 14, 13. I heard a voice from heaven say, write this. 
Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. It's a beatitude. Blessed are those who die in the Lord. Well, it's a whole lot better than the alternative, isn't it? Blessed are those, you don't see blessed are those who die not in the Lord. Blessed are those who die in the Lord. Yea, says the Spirit. Why? So that they might have rest from their labors. Labors. What's that indicate? Things are going to get rough, right? That's not hard to understand when we look at the news, is it? Life is getting spicy. Revelation sixteen fifteen. Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he uh, walk naked and they see his shame. I don't have a lot of time to get into because I'm already late. Matthew chapter 22. If you get a chance, read the parable. Matthew chapter 22. It's about the feast. And you'll remember this guy invited all these people to come to the wedding feast. And they said, oh, I don't want to go. And then he sent more guys out to invite them to the wedding feast. And he killed them. So he said, hang all those guys. Send out more. And invite anybody who whosoever can come. Have them come to the wedding feast. But then at the wedding feast, the king is walking around. And he sees someone not wearing a wedding garment. He's not wearing a wedding. Why is that important? Because there's only one way to come into a wedding. You've got to put on Jesus Christ. He's the only one who saves. No, you can't. You don't walk in on your own. And he looks at the man and says, how come you're not wearing a wedding garment? And the guy goes, uh, 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 uh. Look, you, what you don't understand is there's a whole pile of wedding garments right at the door. When you walk in, all you got to do is put it on. But he walked there. He saw the pile of wedding garments that were provided for him. And he decided, I don't need that. And he walked in. And you don't get in that way. What happened to that guy? It says he was cast out where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew chapter 22. He said, blessed is he who's not like that guy, the guy who watches and keeps his robes spotless. What keeps me spotless? I just work, go around about being how good I can be? Is that what he means? How did my robes get clean? Because I'm washing the blood of Jesus Christ. How do I keep them clean? I just stay in Christ. If I stay in Christ, I'm clean. It's pretty simple, right? What did he say to do it? Watch. What are we watching for? The return of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We look for His return. 1 John 3, 3 says, Everyone who has this thought within himself purifies himself even as he's pure. What's that purifying mode? I'm looking for Jesus. I'm looking for Jesus. I don't want to be found being a knucklehead today, so I'm looking for Jesus. It keeps me on the straight and narrow. Doing what He called me to do, right? Sharing who He is. Looking for opportunities to share the truth with whosoever will listen. That's the second beatitude. Got to keep going. Revelation 16, 15. Uh, that's the one I just did. That's the third. Revelation 19, 9. Then He said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Oh! I can't wait to tell you about that. But it's like, we've got to wait till we get to that chapter. But, well, it's awesome. What's that mean? What's the marriage supper of the Lamb? Oh, okay. We're going to go, we'll go a little bit over. Um, so, when John the Baptist was asked, are you the Christ? You remember? Are you the prophet? Who are you? He said, I'm just an attendant at the marriage supper. See, the Old Testament saints are the attendants at the marriage supper. What happens at the marriage supper? The church is wed to Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question. How is a marriage supposed to work according to the Word of God? That a man and woman are joined together for how long? Forever. Till death do us part, right? Forever. One day there's going to be a marriage supper of the Lamb where the church is joined to Jesus Christ. For how long? Forever. Does Jesus ever die? No. So it don't ever stop, right? Joined with Christ forever. That's the marriage supper of the Lamb. That is like way up here to super cool. But you guys got to wait till chapter, what do we got? 19. Oh, He's going to compare, he compares the marriage supper of the Lamb with the feast of God. I'll give you the, I'll give you the quick rundown. Marriage supper of the Lamb, cool. Feast of God, bad. Feast of God is battle of Armageddon and God says, All the birds of the world come to Armageddon and feast 
on the body of kings. Come and join in to the feast of the great God. That's bad, right? You get the idea? That's why it says, Blessed is he who comes to the marriage supper of the Lamb, because you're not the meal at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Okay, we go on. Revelation 20, verse 6. Blessed and holy is he who is part of the first resurrection. First resurrection. That's the resurrection to life. Daniel talks about in Daniel chapter 12. Blessed is he who is part of the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no part. First resurrection. Blessed is he who is a part of the first resurrection. The resurrection of life. Revelation 22.7 Behold I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Well how am I going to keep it? Well here's one. Watch. Be ready. Blessed is he. Why? Because then the Lord won't return as the thief in the night. And you go, oh my gosh, I didn't know he was coming. Instead, you'll be like, no man, I was ready. I got up and I was looking for the return of my great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. It changes how we live, right? Blessed is he who makes those choices in his life. And finally, Revelation twenty-two fourteen: Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. New heaven, new earth. Blessed is he who gets to eat of the tree of life. That sounds like a good deal, right? Sounds like the place we want to be. Okay, so let's look. Revelation 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ. The incredible unveiling of the great God and Master Jesus, which God the Father gave to him to show to his servants, you and I, the church, things which must shortly take place, suddenly are going to come. And he sent and signified it, signed it, gave it to us in signs by his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ to all the things that he saw. He's an eyewitness and the writer of this book. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and keep the things which are written in it, for the time is near. Amen? Hey, we're pretty close. It's not 9 o'clock. We did good. Why don't you stand with me? Let's, uh, let's give God thanks for what he's showing us in his word tonight. And next week, I promise to do more than three verses. A lot of stuff to chew on. A lot of th-